0: From the time we are born, we are placed in a bubble. It may be a result of where we are born, the people we are around, or the information we are given. Our mission here on the Sports is a Job podcast is to pop the bubble and help everyone realize they control their own path. We will interview people working in sports to share their story and provide our take on sport industry topics. Hosted by Colby Castillo and Olivia Poutine, welcome to the Sports is a Job podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Sports as a Job podcast journey of the working sports professional. This is one half of the podcast. My name is Colby Castillo, and as always, joined by the other half here.
1: Hey, everyone. This is Olivia Patine. Glad to be back for another episode.
0: Now, you know, it seems like we're stepping up our game every single episode with the guests that we have on. Um, This person has a unique journey going from 15 years of college experience, six years of doing his own business, and has a lot of other things he does on the side. So without further ado, I would like to introduce Mark Fraddle to the podcast. How are we doing today?
2: I'm doing great, guys. As great as you can be during uh, this pandemic, I guess. And I really appreciate you guys having me on. I'm I'm here in the home studio, the makeshift (laughs) studio, quarantine studio right here. So it looks like... uh, uh, looks like I'm drying laundry in the background, but I <laughs> got, uh, got a couple big blankets hanging up to absorb sound for uh, some voiceover projects that I have to get done. Um, one for my MLS team, New York City Football Club, I actually got to get uh, out the door either tonight or tomorrow morning, so try, trying to set up, so that's where you guys caught me today.
0: <laughs> you missed uh, Olivia, you know, Olivia, usually Olivia's background has all of the University of yeah. Minnesota Gopher stuff. <laughs> with our press backstage passes and it's all gone now. So you missed that too. And it's, it's crazy.
1: Yeah. My room had to get painted. It was originally bright orange and pink. Um, my 10 year old self picked that out, but my parents decided it was time to something, have something different. So this is what I got right now, which.
2: Yeah. Well, we're all doing the best we can in these conditions, right? (laughs)
0: Exactly. And I think I I got the home studio. I got like two Walmart chairs and I picked up a Walmart chair literally after I think two days after they kind of said we have to work from home. I was like, well, I don't got a work from home desk or anything like that. So I had to make do with whatever I could find. But let's let's jump into your journey, Mark. And if you could just, you know, sure. explain to everybody, you know, what it is you're currently doing and all the different side projects or the main projects that you got going on right now
2: sure uh, I have a media company based in Manhattan New York City uh, called Lineker media we do television production and streaming uh, as well as live event announcing and I'm a live event stadium announcer for a number of different teams and leagues um, and then also there's a voiceover business uh, pay no attention again to the the heavy blankets and the makeshift studio going on in the back here and then for some clients, um, after spending 15 years in full-time collegiate athletics on the external operations side and the communication side, uh, still a couple of PR clients that we work with, including the NCAA Final Four, which is how I met Olivia uh, back when we were in Minneapolis last year, and then uh, the NIT season tip-off, which is a ESPN property that plays at Barclays every Thanksgiving. So uh, after 15 years in college athletics and particularly – with an emphasis on college basketball, I still managed to get in some good uh, college basketball PR projects at the beginning of the season, Thanksgiving time. And then all the way at the end when, uh, you know, as they say, the road ends at the Final Four.
0: <laughs> and it, it's, it's obvious, you know, I think it's important to people understand, like you mentioned, um, the way this connection, this episode really happened was because Olivia's willingness to go to the things like Final Four and putting herself out there. And that's just important talking about that because she built that connection with Mark, with you there. And this led to this whole episode. So I think, again, it's a prime example for everybody out there. It's important for you to do the networking, um, putting yourself in certain positions. And especially during a time like this where everybody has time on their hand, um, you can definitely do network on social media and Zoom. But let's let's talk about the beginning. Let's Let's, you know, Mark, where did this passion come from? You know, how did you get into the sports industry and why did you really want to work in sports?
2: So, uh, you know, when I was growing up, I was, uh, you know, I was a huge sports fan and I was, uh, you know, I was an athlete way back when I was, uh, most, I think a lot of people that know me now would debate that heavily or really question it, but, uh, I was a baseball player from, you know, the time I could pick up a, a bat my senior year of high school. And when I was in high school, I was on the cross country team and the baseball team. And I wanted to try out for JV basketball, which I was not particularly good at. I always loved basketball. But uh, once they instituted the press, I could only go right. And uh, (laughs) it became an issue for for me and my teammates. So uh, some of my baseball teammates that were on the basketball team said, like, listen, we don't want you to try out for basketball. And I was kind of a little heartbroken, a little despondent. And I said, why? Why don't you guys want me to try out? And they said, you stink. We all know you can't go left. (laughs) But, But. we would like you to be our announcer. We want you to sit with the microphone and, and this is going to age me a little bit, especially compared to you guys, but you know, best player of all time was playing in his prime then uh, Michael Jordan. So they said, uh, you know, my baseball teammates who were on the basketball team said be our announcer and introduce us like the guy does it at Chicago stadium for Michael Jordan. So, you know, six foot six from North Carolina, you know, and, uh, I, I started doing the intros then. Even before that, when I was younger, I would read in church at uh, my Catholic elementary school, St. Mary's in Wapner's Falls, New York. So first grade, second grade, all the way through to eighth grade, I was always selected to be the, the reader at church when our class hosted the first Friday masses. So I did that, played baseball, ran cross country. I was the announcer in high school. Then when I went to college, I wanted that to be my on-campus job, right? I wanted to, I didn't want to work in the cafeteria. I didn't want to, you know, uh, referee murals, even though I ended up probably doing a little bit of both. But uh, I, you know, I wanted to be the announcer for all the different sports. I went to a state school in upstate New York called Geneseo. Unbelievable place. Really, really smart school. I don't think I could get in if I tried right now, but uh, you know, it was a great, great division three school. Um, all my best friends are still, you know, people that I met at Geneseo still lifelong friendships. And that, that would play in later to my sports career when I had to prepare for an interview with uh, the MLS team at Yankee stadium, New York city football club. And I didn't really have too deep of a soccer background. My Geneseo boys, the soccer players were there for me and prep me and help me ace that interview and get that job. And, Years later, I'm still with them. But Geneseo was a great place, great experience, Division three for me. Um, I announced all the sports. I worked in the sports information office, wrote press releases, wrote for the student newspaper, uh, student radio shows, student TV shows, all that stuff I did in college. And then I wanted to make the jump to Division one. So where I live in, in New York, where I grew up, is about an hour and a half north of New York City. And West Point Army is very close. So I interned over the summers for an unbelievable sports information director, a legend. He's going into the Hall of Fame this summer. His name is Bob Beretta, double legend in the business. Um, if you guys ask your, you know, the, the people that supervise you and in your internships now for a couple of legends, Bob Beretta is certainly one guy that should come up from Army, dedicated his entire career to West Point. So I had the chance to get a lot of experience at Geneseo when I was an undergrad you know, again, you know, press releases, we had the, the first website that we, that we ever had for athletics. I was there for the start of that, announced all the games, wrote press releases. And then over the summers, I was able to help Army's division one sports information staff compile records for media guides and work on research for all the things that they had going on for, uh, for fall sports and, and, uh, and, and get ready. And then when they'd have their Army football media day, when all the cadets would be on campus and they'd, be there for photos and uh, uniform fitting and you know, preseason interviews and stuff like that. That was always, unfortunately my last day. So I was, you know, the cadets were getting back on campus and it was time for me to head back upstate. So uh, that was, that was my beginning. And then the sports information directors at army, uh, Bob Beretta, who was there, Maddie Salvani, who's another legend. She's still there. They helped me kind of create this plan of how I was going to get into division one basketball in the ACC. And that ended up with grad school at Maryland, and that was my move after I graduated from Geneseo and wrapped up uh, three great summers at West Point.
1: When you were at Geneseo, which is a D three, what made you want to go Division One instead of stay in the Division Three area or field? Well, I guess
2: I think maybe that that Michael Jordan obsession. You know, I wanted to go to North Carolina. I think that was one of my dream schools for grad school, and uh, North. Carolina actually has a great graduate program. one of the things and, and here 's a tip for people that are are looking to kind of get a career going in sports but maybe don't feel like they got enough uh, experience or skill development or contacts as undergrads. You can go to grad school and kind of extend your education by another two years. Olivia, I know you mentioned you're looking at a couple different programs but a lot of um a lot of graduate schools programs have graduate assistantships available, mm-hmm. uh, you know, which they'll that'll pay for your education to give you a small stipend toward, you know, living expenses and stuff like that. Sometimes they even match you up, get you roommates, get you places to live, like stuff like that. So if you can do that for an extra two years or so and kind of keep using that to further your education, keep developing your skills, kind of um make that Rolodex a little bit more Rolodex is an old school where it's kind of just for contacts and stuff like that. Nobody has a Rolodex anymore. We all have our iPhones and stuff like that. So you want to, you know, keep, keep putting those entries into the iPhone, you know, in in terms of developing your network and expanding your network, grad school is not a bad place to go. And I wanted to work in ACC basketball. So North Carolina was my dream school and, uh, things didn't go my way for that, but, uh, but Maryland offered me a great opportunity to go to Maryland. And, uh, I was there for six years, a couple as a graduate assistant, and then as a full-time staff member. And one thing led to another, I worked on softball and then softball and field hockey and then field hockey and baseball. And then we went to two final fours in basketball and I was traveling on the road with the team. Then we won the national championship way back in 2002, which, uh, I was 25, which makes me old now, but, um, you know, you guys probably are looking back at 2002, maybe not even having been born yet, but that was a great (laughs) final four. That was a great national championship, especially because we won, you know, got the big ring and more importantly, got that, that great experience and had those contacts with the national media that, you know, that I still have that led to my current job at the final four, which is how. I met Olivia because she was a celebrity microphone holder oh, yeah. in the big press conference room <laughs> in Minneapolis when we were at the Final Four, right, Olivia?
1: Oh yeah, best microphone suit in the country, right? Right here, that's me.
2: Who did you give it? Oh, to? Oh yeah, you were in there. Now, Olivia, if you remember the those for those of you guys that aren't familiar as familiar with press conferences as I may be, and now Olivia is. We credential something in the neighborhood of like twenty five hundred different media representatives for the Final Four. I think the Super Bowl is the only higher covered event between all the TV requests and all the um, you know all the the beat reporter requests and all the you know the television network requests, CBS, Turner, all those. You know, there's there's a lot of credentials. So Olivia and I for the entire week of the Final Four, we sat in the big interview room with, you know, three or 400 reporters sitting in different chairs and Olivia and five of her colleagues were out there with microphones and I get to sit up on the dais with the coaches and the student athletes. And we go through and get their interview you know, their interviews, you know, sometimes 25, sometimes 35, sometimes like 45 minutes or an hour at a time. You know, we have those long press conferences to make sure that all the media questions are as many as we can possibly get done uh, go through there it's kind of like working in the white house right now except it's a lot more fun and a, yeah. and a lot better organized and uh and we do it we do uh just a fabulous job do you just oh, right, yeah. choose
0: random people is it just like you just choose random people or is there like a strategy between like who you choose to give the mic to
2: no olivia, i mean olivia i'll tell you there's a method to my madness and we kind of <laughs> review that before every single one so Um, You know, because I'd I'd been and I still am in college athletics for so long, you know, the the networking is not just about, you know, other people at other schools or other teams to try to get yourself a job. You know, obviously, if you're in media relations, you have to establish relationships with the media. So knowing different people who are national reporters who are going to need to get questions in, um, I get uh, familiarity with... um, with the teams and their sports information directors, they help me with familiarity for their local reporters. So if you're used to asking John Calipari questions all the time, because you cover covered Kentucky all throughout the year, I want to make sure you're going to get your questions in at the press conference as well. So I have to know who Jerry Tipton is who covers Kentucky. I have to know who the different, you know, Kentucky beat reporters are and, and bloggers and, you know, they're, they're uh, different broadcast journalists as well. Um, I always make sure that I know who the local reporters are. So when we were in Minneapolis, I wanted to make sure I knew who the reporters were from who were the Star Tribune and mm-hmm. some of the local TVs and radios. So mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure that when we're doing this press conference, we were getting those in as well. And then I'm a big market guy. I'm not afraid to admit it. So I like to make sure the New York reporters get their questions <laughs> in and the DC reporters, the Chicago's and the LAs and you know, people like that. So we kind of, what I try to do as everybody puts their hands up and their hands are always up, we try to go through and we try to make sure that we're getting national questions in. we're getting, you know, reporters that cover that team and we're getting some of the locals in and then we're getting some of the big market reporters in. So that's that's the game. That's the strategy to try to, you know, please as many people as we can during a limited amount of time and while still having, you know, still helping the coaches and student athletes, you know, meet their obligations, but still helping them manage their time too. Because the questions sometimes never end. Do you guys mm. remember Sister Jean from Loyola? Yeah, Chicago,
1: yep. we, saw we saw the picture. We saw the picture.
2: Yeah, Sister Jean had the one of the wildest. I mean, that was in the small room, Olivia. If you remember the difference between the big room and some of the, the breakout rooms. So yeah, yeah, Jean yeah was close to a hundred years old. Just an amazing, an amazing individual. And she was actually, you know, in a wheelchair at the Final Four and uh, when Loyola made it. And we had a, you know, instead of, you know, get kind of putting her, getting her onto the, the big elevated platform in the big room, we brought Sister Jean into one of the breakout rooms. And it was bigger than Tom Brady at the Super Bowl. It was unbelievable. It was packed. And one of the more unforgettable experiences that I've had at a Final Four in this role. And we, we went through and... and she, I think Sister, Sister, Sister Jean took about 15 minutes worth of questions, maybe 10 or 15 minutes. And we probably got like eight or nine questions in, in, in the 10 minutes. And uh, yeah, she could have stayed and, and kept, kept going. But uh, her people said, okay, guys, that's enough. Let's get Sister some rest. Let's get her out of here. But yeah, that, that was wild. That was uh, one of the more unique press conference experiences that I've ever been a part of.
0: I've always wanted to go to a game, you know, being born in Hawaii. We don't ever get um, really any major basketball, you know, games out there except uh, like it's the Diamond Head Classic, but also we have the, yeah. Maui, uh, the Maui Classic out there where we usually have some of the big teams. So we've seen, and then also in high school, like basketball wise, I've seen like KD, Derek Rose, Derek Cousins play in high school because we have this thing called um, the Iolani Classic where all like the top high schools go there. So, like, my dad's a huge basketball fan. So, like, being able to see those people is one of those things that, like, I was, like, amazed, especially now seeing them in the lead. But I want to go back to, you know, it's interesting because these amazing experiences, a lot of times it, it it depends on the mentors that we have and the things like that and the experiences we go through. Um, And I want to talk about, you know, Bob Beretta. And it seems sure. like with, with the bunch of interviews that we've had with people Uh, Mike Ritchie, who's a senior associate AD at at Mississippi State, he was under, um, you know, I think it was Oklahoma State at the time. And I can't remember who exactly it was, but everyone within that athletic department that was underneath him, um, they went off to be ADs at other big schools. So it seems like leaders create leaders, right? So what is one thing that you took away from Bob Beretta that really you try to teach other people?
2: So I think there's three things. that. I took away from Bob Beretta. And I I love talking about Bob because he is one of the greatest. I always say, if I was ever any good at anything in this profession, it's, you know, due in large part to Bob Beretta. So if you want to work specifically in athletics, something external, like media relations, communications, or marketing, there's three things that I took away from, from Bob that I think are really important to still pass on. And this has been true when I was uh you know eighteen year old student twenty two year old graduate assistant or um you know thirty seven year old senior associate athletic director, you have to be a good writer. That's one thing you can't fake it, you can't get away with not being a good writer. That's it. so if there's a skill to develop, it's writing and I'm not talking about you know long form press releases necessarily feature stories. You know, you got to be able to write for the web. You got to be able to write for social media and you got to be able to master those things as well. Second thing is you got to be at least a little bit organized, all right? You can't be, you can't be a complete mess. And again, please forgive the, <laughs> the two comforters that I'm using as soundproofing right now because uh, it doesn't look very, looks a little bit sloppier now that I'm looking uh, over my shoulder here. Uh, but you have to be at least a little bit organized. You have to maintain a calendar. You have to, you know, either digital or paper or however it is you want to do it if you're going to be responsible for your own schedule and for the schedule of coaches and student athletes and reporters, you definitely, definitely have to be a little bit organized. And then the part that can't be taught um, is, is passion. You have to have a genuine enthusiasm for what you're going to do, because whether you're again, that 18 year old student or the 22 year old graduate assistant, or you're the boss of the office in your thirties and forties and beyond, you're going to have long hours. You're going to have late nights and weekends. You're going to have challenges that are inherent to the position because everybody has at least a little bit of an ego. You can try to swallow yours or cram it way down, but the coaches that you work with, the athletes that you work with, and the reporters that you work with are all going to have at least a little bit of an ego. So you got to deal with kind of melding and meshing those personalities as best you can. And that also helps if you're organized and, and, and all that. But you got to be enthusiastic about it because, again, the hours are long. It's going to be nights and weekends. You're going to have time away from your family if you have one or if you're looking to start one. Um, but you really got to love it to get you through, especially the times when you're just coming up and when you're doing stuff that maybe isn't as high profile so you can get frustrated and when you're not making a lot of money and nobody starts out making a lot of money. That's a uh, definite, definite truth in athletic communications or marketing Mm -hmm. so those three things good writer (laughs) a little bit organized and enthusiastic or passionate about this whole thing those are three things that bob taught me a lot of the the different mentors that i've had taught me that but that was something that was true from the first day that i met bob to we just i exchanged texts with him just the other day you know it's still there for him
1: I mean, I'm going into that same field of work right now with um, communications and I'm trying to find a GA position right now. And I feel like one thing I kind of struggle with is my writing, because I guess I wouldn't say I'm a bad writer. I just don't think I have the confidence. So what are ways that you can develop that skill more? And like, how would you know that you're a good writer or not?
2: I, I mean, I would say practice, practice, practice. That's one way to do it. You know, get the reps. So when you're doing your internship now, ask for writing projects, you know, ask for things that you can, you know, you can where you can kind of hone those skills, where you can try to work on those skills. And then, you know, whoever your supervisor is in that office or maybe even, you know, some of the people that are lower than him or her, you know, maybe, you know, somebody between you and your supervisor, you can ask them to take a look and make some recommendations for you uh, as well. And then reading. I mean, reading helps. You know, go and read, find people that are being paid to write about sports right now and read their stuff. If they're getting paid, that means that they're good. If they're not (laughs) getting paid, you know, if there weren't any good, they wouldn't be getting paid. So I I would say, yeah, I I would say practice. I would say, uh, you know, and and that includes ask for more, you know, get feedback from the people that are around you, you know, those people, your mentors, because that does a couple, that does a couple things that makes you a little bit closer with them. You know, which helps with your networking, their networks then become your networks. And it helps them see that you care, that you really want to get better, that you want to do well, you know, so, so you care about it that much. And then the third thing is read. Go Go find some people that you like and read their stuff. And it doesn't have to necessarily be about sports, but that helps.
0: Yeah, it's something that I think that even, you know, it brings me back to being an athlete, you know, putting in that concept where you're talking about reps, 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 the more reps you get, the better you get as something. Because, again, I think one of those things I talk about is action provides insight. The more you do, the more insight you get onto what you're good at or what you're weak at, what do you have to improve at? And you talked about passion and For me, it was something I wanted to talk about before we even got on the episode was you're you're a PA announcer and you're a ring announcer. I'm a huge fight fan. And my best part, especially in the main fights, or just fights in general, is when that ring announcer starts to get going and that you can feel the energy from that person, it just gives you the chills and you get super excited for a fight. But I want to talk about how did you, I mean, how did you end up being a ring announcer, especially for Madison Square Garden and all the events they have there?
2: So, um, I, I've announced every other sport more oh, than really? I've done boxing. <laughs> boxing is still new. Boxing is probably, I think it's, it's more than four years old, but not five years old yet mm. uh, for me career-wise. And the first time that I got into it was, I, it was actually from announcing college basketball at the Garden. Another great uh, friend and mentor at Madison Square Garden, South Federico, I worked closely with him in the sports properties area. And he's in charge of all those different college basketball and all those different sports properties that are not the Knicks or the Rangers, right? So college basketball, boxing, MMA, Bellator, um, you know, when they have had tennis matches at the garden, when they've done like NYPD, FDNY, fire department, ice hockey, which is also kind of a fight. (laughs) It's also kind of a prize fight at a certain point during the hockey match. Um, So he asked me, he said, uh, listen, we got a big fight coming up. It was a couple of years ago. He said, uh, Gennady Golovkin from Kazakhstan, the fighting pride of Karaganda, Kazakhstan. So he uh, he was fighting Daniel Giel and they were bringing Michael Buffer in to announce the main events, but they needed an undercard announcer. So he called me up and he said, you would love this. You should totally check it out. But boxing's different and MMA's different than all the other sports, even at the final four. I have like a 28 page script of what I'm supposed to, you know, make sure I cover in every press conference, New York city football club, the Yankee stadium, going off the script, Washington wizards, you know, going off the script, army football, certainly going off the script because there, we do so many military, you know, military tributes and uh, we're honoring so many different groups. And there's a lot of titles and a lot of offices and stuff like that. So I definitely want to make sure I get all those things, right. I'm glued to the paper microphones on and I'm looking down, um, you know, so boxing so I, I watched like 100 michael buffer youtubes and i wrote myself a script and i typed it up with blanks for you know the big fight night and then it's tuesday of golovkin gil fight week and i go to the men's warehouse to pick up a tuxedo that i rented because i did not own one so um this is uh i don't mean for this story to be a racy story but i'm going to tell you the truth here <laughs> on the uh, sports is a job podcast so i'm in the changing room and I'm literally standing there in my underpants putting my, you know, getting my pants fitted on. And I hear my phone is buzzing on the bench, you know, in the changing room. And I see that it's the garden. I pick it up and Sal said, listen, like, I'm sorry, but, um, I know it's Tuesday of fight week. The promoter is bringing in somebody to do the undercards from California. So we can't use you. So for my first ever boxing event, I was fired on a Tuesday before I even did anything in my underpants so that's that's how that story goes it's a true story but from there i was addicted because boxing is different than everything else and mma is different they're they're different from all the other sports i work it's the wild west there are no no rules everything's crazy everything's wild um you know and then sal to his credit got me back and uh i was the uh, undercard announcer for when golovkin fought david lemieux So that was uh, K2 and Triple G promotions on the one side and Golden Boy on the other side because they promote David Lemieux. So I was in the big room at Madison Square Garden. It was um, my second pro fight and my third ever fight event was at a place where every announcer would like to announce. Mm -hmm. And I was fortunate to be able to, I did um, I think four or five, six fights and then Michael Buffer did, the last uh three or four and you know i sat with him you know the entire time i got to learn from the most famous and most wealthy announcer of all time that changed the game for every other announcer and i got to ask him questions and listen to him and now i've done about 10, 10 events with michael buffer to this point and my wife and his wife sit together and always say hi and get along and like you know and, and and hang out and then uh you know occasionally i'll text i try not to abuse that relationship but like occasionally like I'll hit them up and you know just strike up a conversation or you know uh talk about something that's going on or ask for advice or or whatever there which is very cool but um but even there not everybody starts at Madison Square Garden and certainly I didn't either I would have for Lemieux versus Giel and just based on the familiarity that they had with me on you know for college basketball but um in the year that passed between those two fights or whenever the year and a half, I think, I think Gill was in the spring and Golovkin was like the next fall, not that fall, but like the next, like a full year against Lemieux. Um, I think, so I went out and I went, I'm actually, I train there. I'm the worst. I'm ranked number 1200 at Gleason's. So I'm the worst boxer in the entire gym, but I go there a couple of days a week, but, when I wanted to kind of, I wanted to get myself on tape so I could see what I was like as a boxing announcer and try to, you know, get some, again, get some reps, you know, try to, so when I was standing under the big lights of Madison square garden, I would at least have some kind of familiarity. So I went to Gleason's and I asked if I could announce like sparring or, you know, whatever. And, um, the owner, Bruce Silverglade, who's awesome. He's another friend and mentor, especially in the fight game. He's been around since Ali and, you know, uh, probably even before that, Um, he said, listen, I have like the Irish uh, police coming in to fight our, you know, one of our, our, you know, uh, New York Metro. They're, they're doing it on Saturday and I need somebody. Can you, you know, can you be the announcer? So I announced like 16 fights or whatever, but I did every single one, like Michael Buffer, like, (laughs) like it was like the main event, like Michael Buffer. And then, um, then I worked a pro fight in Coney Island at the baseball stadium that I announced at for the, the minor league Mets, the Brooklyn Cyclones. And then, uh, yeah, my third fight, second pro fight was at Madison Square Garden. And uh, then I was super hooked from there, but I was lucky because I worked with Golden Boy. They were on the, you know, on the other side of that card. And it was a lot of Golden Boy fighters all the way through. And then David Lemieux who got, uh, got I think, TKO'd or KO'd by Golovkin. And but Golden Boy said, Hey, we haven't met you before. We think you do a nice job. Would you be willing to work this next one up at Turning Stone Casino by Syracuse? Can we fly it to California a couple times a year? Can we, you know, I was like, yeah, let's um, I'm here for all that, you know. And eventually, I did some fights with them in Vegas and and um, and some world title fights as well. So, uh, HBO, Showtime. We have a Facebook series called Fight Night Live, which I really like because that we do kind of like regional fights. But the best thing about that is the comments section because we leave it wide open. So boxing fans have a lot of opinions. So (laughs) they 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 talk about how great or not great they think the fighters are, the judges, or the announcer, or whoever. You know, they have a lot to say about a lot of stuff. But people get addicted because they they can hear their own voice, they can see it coming up in the comments, and then I encourage. Our play-by-play, our blow-by-blow broadcaster and analysts and interviewers to always monitor and talk directly to the people in the audience, the people that are watching online. So, um, I try to make it very interactive. That series and it's really popular. We average uh, two hundred sixty thousand views a, a fight, a show, so oh. on Facebook, which is uh, it's been a really cool thing for us
0: hmm. Mm-hmm. And we were, you know, it's, it's so funny. You mentioned that because all of us fight fans do yeah, have yeah, our opinions. For sure. You know, we all think that we know what they should be doing or their training regimen or things like that. But you know, it's been established now that you've had all these experiences, 15 years of working in college athletics. Um, what led you to starting your own business and really going into that entrepreneur, um, journey?
2: So I saw, when I was at St. John's, um, this is a true story. I don't know if I've ever told it on camera. I also just touched my face, which I guess you're really not supposed to do. <laughs> Watch out for all that. Don't do that. Everybody at home. Um, when I was at Maryland, I was there for six years. We went to five NCAA tournaments, and we, uh, we won the national championship in two. 2002 so i was always really really busy with basketball when i was at st john's i was there for nine years and unfortunately we only went to one ncaa tournament we went to some nits and some other stuff but i ended up then because we didn't have football i had a lot of time in the spring and summer to kind of like forecast things and try to plan things so we eventually started we and what we figured out at st john's also was that we could make a lot of headlines the new york times daily news new york post newsday You know, and and a lot of the big local brand name papers that are based in New York, Wall Street Journal, whatever, Um, you know, and all the TVs and blogs and stuff like that. We could do that very successfully with men's basketball. But when it came to women's basketball, which we had a great program, baseball, soccer, great programs, fencing and others, um, we needed to do a better job covering it ourselves because we couldn't really crack the mainstream media. To help tell those stories, so we started doing live audio because we had none at the time. You know, in the mid, you know, first decade of the the two, those around two thousand five, two thousand six, we started doing live audio. Two thousand seven, we were doing single camera streaming. By two thousand ten, we were doing three camera streaming, and then by two thousand eleven, we figured out that if we could convert our whole setup to HD, we could pretty much produce anything that ESPN would have the rights to but couldn't afford to produce. So at the time ESPN Plus was ESPN3 or watch ESPN at the time it was called espn360.com. So that's where like kind of the overage games were. But we said, you know what, besides the overage game, we're going to you know, we're going to produce you know, 20 baseball games, you know, 10 women's basketball games, uh, you know, eight volleyball matches uh, seven men's and women's soccer matches each and one fencing invitational. And we're going to give it to ESPN. So we did that the first year they liked it. They started paying us like a little budget to do it. So way back in like 2011, Florida state, North Carolina, Clemson, they were producing around 35 games a piece and giving them to ESPN. And we were doing 65, 75, 85 and getting 2,500 bucks a shot. know into our budget so then i was able to take you know somebody like olivia or maybe somebody like you colby and and we had a class where we actually created some academic curriculum where students could learn how to operate um on this production truck that we built we eventually converted everything to hd we bought a horse trailer we packaged everything bolted everything in and we created the television production truck right there on campus so it gave students a really great opportunity to learn how to do live television streaming production, um, you know, and then then also make money. So you'd, you'd volunteer, get a little uh, kind of baseline knowledge, go take the class. Then after the class, you'd come back and we would pay everybody, um, you know, through the university's payroll system, you know, uh, what, however many, many dollars per game or or whatever. So you were actually getting paid as a junior and senior to produce ESPN three games, which is a pretty good thing to have on your resume. And mm-hmm. plus you were getting some some dollars for your living expenses or your bank account. So after a couple of years of doing that, I figured out that there was kind of a gap in college athletics and that different conferences and different schools and different minor league pro teams especially were in need of that kind of model, you know, kind of a scaled down digital production model that didn't cost $35,000 to do a live event, you know, it cost only a couple thousand dollars to do a live event. So that's where I created my business, Lineker Media. Um, We started getting production contracts to do ESPN three type of games, you know, for, uh, for, for smaller, I'd say football conferences like the Patriot league, the Ivy league, and the Northeast conference, you know, great conferences with great tradition, but it, it wasn't like we were doing like the SEC or you know Clemson, Florida State stuff like that. You know, we were doing kind of smaller conferences where you know we could do we could cover games with four cameras and then we got into basketball and then um you know soccer, lacrosse, all sorts of sports. So right now we do about 200 live events per year. Not right now. Right now nobody's doing any live events, but we're uh you know currently we're in our 6th year we do about 200 plus live events a year um when it comes to production and It ranges from kind of some bigger CBS Sports Network fight nights, you know, down to some single camera streams and everything in between NBA G League and some Division One basketball and some uh, Division Three championships. And we kind of we kind of hit it all. We try to be flexible enough to, you know, to kind of fit any budget and meet any need. Are you guys sold on that yet? You guys want (laughs) to sign up?
1: would you say your business grew pretty fast once you started it
2: yeah i think there was a real need for that um you know now i think a lot of schools have the the ability to produce on their own they kind of took that model that we had at st john's you know way back in 2010 11 and a lot of schools are able to kind of replicate that but conferences still need us for championships um Mm -hmm. minor league baseball and you know again the mbhe league um they, they take up uh, a lot of our schedule in the wintertime. And then we still do some college basketball for individual colleges uh, that, um, you know, that have the ability to do it themselves. But we just have the model so perfected. It's almost uh, it's cheaper and easier for a lot of schools to bring us in and, and, uh, and do their games. So we do.
0: Yeah. Instead of buying all the equipment where you guys already have it and you were saying you have the perfect model. So, you know, it's interesting because you have this career.
2: And trying to figure out from a staffing standpoint too, trying Mm -hmm. to figure that stuff out. I mean, you can imagine that some schools aren't as equipped, you know, believe it or not to be running their own streaming programs. You know, like if you're an Ivy league undergrad, you're looking at maybe like law school or med school or a career in politics or something like that. Like you're not really looking to like get a camera on a tripod and, you know, <laughs> yeah. to be doing that sort of thing. So I think we we've, we've found some interesting niches, different places. And uh, yeah, we've been able to, to continue to meet a need there on the streaming or broadcast side. And then I spend the rest of my time doing live events, Washington Wizards. I'm the public address announcer. I've been just uh, my first full season in the NBA. Before that, I was a backup for the Knicks and I did the Westchester Knicks in the G League. So I got the call up and I got traded to the Wizards and uh, and everything's been awesome. Everything in DC is, it's really, uh, it's really fantastic. And I think if we play out the rest of this NBA season, you know, which we may or may not, but I think if we do, we're nipping right at the heels of a playoff spot without John Wall, who's our big superstar, mm-hmm. Bradley Beal's been holding it down, Davis Bertons and um, you know, guys like that have been playing really well for us. So Wizards, New York city football club and major league soccer we did a few events and then uh including a CONCACAF champions league game uh and then that season has since been uh suspended and they're waiting to you know see what's going to happen and try to get the rest of the games in by just pushing the schedule back just start starting mm. later and finishing later you can play soccer up until you know new year's eve or whatever uh if you want to in the summertime i do the brooklyn cyclones baseball and in the fall, I'm back at West Point where I started, you know, as an intern way back when and I've done Army football games for uh, this past season and looking forward to, you know, hopefully this fall or whatever they're going to do with college football, you know, nationally, whatever the plans be, um, I'll be behind the microphone for Army uh, football. And then when I'm not doing any of that, I'm standing in a closet, <laughs> just like this one behind you with that uh, windscreen and <laughs> the big microphone and uh trying to develop new clients and uh and and meet our clients needs when it comes to voiceovers or audio recording or uh whatever
0: definitely well thank you mark you know for hopping on the podcast you've you've had some amazing stories and i think when people dive into research you a little more they're going to see how much experience you truly have um where can people find you to network with you are you on social media linkedin or anything like that
2: yeah for sure mike Company Lineker Media is, uh, we're, we're active with our projects. And, uh, you know, I'm, I, I think maybe a lot of people that want to follow us from business or business opportunity standpoints or internship standpoints can follow at Lineker Media. It's L-I-N-A-C-R-E-M-E-D-I-A on Twitter, on Facebook, and on Instagram. Uh, our Fight Night Live series is also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And then at Mark Frato is me on Instagram as well. Um, but there you get some professional stuff and some of our 18 month old, um, you know, doing various things, dunking basketballs, <laughs> running like a wild man, and, and all that. So you get a little bit of work and a little bit of action, Jackson Prado. So, you know, that may be a good follow as well for some people, depending on what your uh, tastes are.
0: You got to make sure he learns how to dribble left and not just right when they press. Yeah. Him. Yeah.
2: <laughs> You know, it's always, you know, I'm, I'm not a, I've been a father only for 18 months, but yeah, we got to, we got to put him in a better position to be successful on the court for as long as he wants to do that. And then yeah. he can always go to the microphone or somewhere else afterwards.
0: Well, thank you, Mark. And everyone who tuned into the Sports' is Job podcast, thank you as always. And the message from Olivia, Mark, and I, we are all in our own individual journeys, but you are not alone.